Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Eight out of nine. <clears throat> so I have to come back at least one more time. And, uh, complete. Uh, I don't know. For those who took social psychology, there's this uh, this phenomenon called the Zygarnik effect. Anyone know about the Zygarnik effect? Oh, good. Well, this is a, something neat to impress your friends about. It's like the the movement towards closure. That when you're reading a chapter, you know, and you've got you've read 40 pages and there's 42 pages in the chapter, you don't just close it, you know, you, you go to the end. So this is, don't mind me, my mind is just kind of going over. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a while. Um, so we've been using this book, which I was very uh, impressed with and found very helpful and do still do find helpful uh, with me, How We Choose to Be Happy. Uh, and these uh, fellows, Rick Foster and Greg Hicks, did a, a day long here a few weeks ago. How many people went to it? Anyone? Oh, good. Did you, did you like it? Did you leave happy? <laughs> good. I did. I had a great day. Um, so just a simple recap after identifying about 230 or so extremely happy people. Um, they uh, found that there were nine common denominators that every one of them had. And to review uh, the first seven that we've done, it starts with the intention to be happy, which is really the key. Not the intention to be successful or, you know, have all your wishes granted or whatever, but the intention to be happy really steers your life in that direction so that everything that you experience is turned towards that, um, that intention. And as we, um, as we mentioned at the beginning, happiness can have lots of different definitions for it for lots of different people. This isn't being upbeat and cheery and you know, in denial or things like that, it, but it's uh, it's a deeper kind of happiness. And the Buddha said, um, investigate for yourselves what leads to happiness and peace and follow that. <clears throat> this is their definition of happiness. A profound, enduring feeling of contentment, capability, and centeredness. A rich sense of well-being that comes from knowing you can deal productively and creatively with all that life offers, both the good and the bad. It's knowing your internal self and responding to your real needs rather than the demands of others. And it's a deep sense of engagement, living in the moment and enjoying life's bounty. So the intention to be happy is the first step. The second step is what's called accountability, where you're not blaming the world or others for your lack of happiness or your situation, but you feel empowered enough to see that you can make a difference without looking outside. Um, the third one is identification, that is identifying what truly makes you happy uh, instead of just leaving it up to the fates. Maybe you'll luck onto a, you know, 
pleasant experience or, a, or something that brings inner peace, but really getting clear on what it is that makes you happy, which leads to the next step, which they call centrality, putting those things at the forefront of your life, making them priorities instead of squeezing them in, as probably everybody as everybody here has done at least to come to a Wednesday morning because there's something coming here and sitting together and uh, sharing the Dharma that brings joy to your life or brings uh, a depth to your life. So, um, you know, we do it, it's just that we kind of often think that it would be too indulgent to actually give ourselves a whole lot of happiness, but actually it's a generous act because the more complete you feel the more you have to give to others. You're not coming from a place of poverty. Uh, the next step is what they term recasting, which is dealing with the, p the pain and the sorrows and the sufferings in life that we all have in a way that isn't, uh, um, that has a resiliency and has a transformative quality that learns, that can use that to, to continue to grow and awaken so that there's a more, a deeper understanding of compassion and love and, and happiness. So dealing with life's uh, difficulties. The next step is options. That is not seeing that there's only one way to do things, but being flexible enough to have many, many choices uh, as, as life brings its creative plan to you to, to um, be able to maneuver and see uh, where you want to go. Uh, the, la the next one that, that we did the last time I was here was appreciation. That is, having appreciation for life for the downs as well as the ups and seeing, being present for life is the best way to have appreciation for it, rather than thinking about what could be or what you'd like to have happen, but just appreciating this moment, uh, which is basically the essence of the practice. So that brings us up to this week, number eight. And the, um, the choice that all of these people, and you can check this out with your own experience, the people in your life who you think of as truly happy, one common quality that they all manifest is that of a giving heart, a generous heart. It would be very limiting if happiness were confined to our own well-being. You know, that is getting caught in this reification of self. Oh, happiness is for me. But actually, what it is, is seeing the joy of wholeness and the natural outgrowth of that is wanting to share because it's a fullness of heart. It is, as I'm sure most of you know, a central tenet of the Buddhist teachings. <clears throat> in the, uh, 
the ten perfections, the ten paramitas. Has Sylvia ever done the ten perfections here? You might remember the very first one is uh, generosity. They call it giving, giving generosity. Dana in, uh, in uh, Pali and Sanskrit. Even before virtuous conduct, meditation, wisdom, loving kindness, the Buddha would teach generosity as the first, generally the first teaching to lay people. Because on the one hand, it is, um, it's the expression, the act of expression of letting go. And you know, the essence, the third noble truth is about letting go of attachment. And the f com most complete letting go is the awakened mind that doesn't hold on to anything. And so generosity is a way to express that letting go. At the same time, it is the understanding of the interconnectedness that we share, that we're not in this trip alone, that we are with others and there's the beautiful expression of the open heart in letting go. <clears throat> he said that the karmic result of generosity is abundance. And it's, it's true. Think of somebody in your life, just think of somebody who's very generous. Okay? That's just their natural spirit, whether or not they do Vipassana meditation, you know, it's completely beside the point. Just somebody who, who understands that, that power. Okay. How are you around them? How do you relate to them? Do you relate in the same way as when you're around somebody who's kind of, you know, insecure with their possessions and, and their time and, and uh, afraid of losing things? and. Um, you're probably a little bit different when you're around somebody who's uh, insecure with what they have and wanting to hold on to it than you are around somebody who loves to give. Is that so? Mm -hmm. So you can see the karmic result right there. You want to be generous back. Now imagine if you go through your life with that generous spirit. You know what kind of energy comes back to you. <clears throat> now the trick is, you can't be generous so that the goodies come back. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. Uh -uh. That's not true generosity, because that's got a hook on the end. It's really just feeling the genuine joy of giving opens up your heart and it touches other people's hearts and they want to give back whether it's their time, or love, or presence, or resources, or energy, whatever. That's just how it works. <clears throat> now, along with this, this is not to say that one should be so generous that it hurts, you know, that you resent or regret having given because you've given too much. Because generosity has to include ourselves as well. You can't, can't give more than you have and be suffering as a consequence. 
<clears throat> so that's that's a kind of art to to really understand what what you can give. <clears throat> and I, I thought it was kind of um, appropriate to have generosity or giving at this particular week, since we're, we're coming into the holiday season. <clears throat> and um, you know, so many different emotions come up when you go uh, from it, for people when they come through the, go through the holidays. <clears throat> Sometimes people say, oh, I want to hide, you know, and other times it's, you know, wow, it's really, it's really beautiful. And commercialism aside, <coughs> there's something really beautiful about the holiday season, whether it's Christmas or Hanukkah or um, uh, Kwanzaa or uh, whatever it is, we need something, particularly around this time of the year, the dark time of the year, to remember to, to uplift our hearts. And the, the ultimate icon of, besides Jesus being born, the ultimate icon of the Christmas spirit is Santa Claus. And when you think of it, what is Santa Claus? Why, why do kids love Santa Claus? Because he is the embodiment of giving. Yeah. Because there's so much joy in, in this holiday and in him that he just wants to give to everybody. You know? That's been his, that's his job that he's taken. And he loves it. You know? No matter what troubles he goes through on, you know, in the movies or whatever, you know, he always makes it, right? And it touches us. Wow. It's just the, the, um, the essence of giving, how it opens up the heart. The, um, uh, a couple of things about the Buddha's teaching on generosity. He said that, um, the power of generosity and giving depends on three things, actually. The karmic uh, result and the empowerment of the act of generosity depends on three things. <clears throat> you know, for the highest result, the purity of the giver, that is, you know, not doing it for a hook, but just out of a spontaneous sharing. The purity of the gift, that is something that's not been obtained in an ill-gotten way. Um, and the purity of the receiver. Now that doesn't mean that you should only give to pure people. You know? <laughs> and in fact, Another way to see it is that you can bring out the purity of someone in somebody just by your own purity of heart. That that's, seems like a very worthwhile endeavor to look for that purity inside somebody. They can be on the street and, you know, uh, asking for, for a handout. Even if they're, you know, an alcoholic. If you go inside, rather than say, oh no, they, they don't count. If you go inside, there's something divine even in that person. 
that if you can connect with, you can call forth. So those, those three amplify the karmic result of giving. This is, uh, I'll share some of the, the anecdotes from, from the book, which is woven with anecdotes. Oh, these are just a little quote um, from the Babylonian Talmud. It says, the reward of charity depends entirely upon the extent of the kindness in it. Makes sense, doesn't it? It's why when you're, you know, if you're filling out your charity uh, donations, you know, this is the time to, uh, to do that for many people in the year. If you, if you kind of just do it, you know, perfunctorily and just, oh yeah, this one, this one, this one, you know, it's a nice thing to do. But if you reflect on who is getting it on the other end, why you're moved to do it, to give to whatever uh, organization you do, you know, and what the results will be, the actual karmic consequence of it will be deeper because you're, you're feeling the goodness of your own, your own spirit, your own generosity. A quote that I, I think I've shared here before that I find very, very powerful is uh, from the the Majjhima Nikaya, um, uh, the Middle Eight Discourses of the Buddha, where he, he says, he talks about different wholesome states and the power of being present for them. And he says uh, generosity, he uses as an example of a number of these, <coughs> these states. And he says, um, thinking I am generous while one is engaging in an act of generosity, thinking I am generous gladdens the heart, delights the heart. One gains inspiration in the Dhamma, in the truth. You know. Just by consciously reflecting on it, oh, this is how generosity feels. Now that's different than saying, you know, well, aren't I a generous guy? Because you know. then you've just identified with it and said, oh yeah, aren't I great? No, he's, he's saying something quite different. He's saying, let yourself feel the beauty of that feeling as it's coming through you. Ah, how good it is to feel generous, you know? How fortunate that I can be so moved that way and can let myself experience the joy of it. You know, that opens up the heart. And you don't have to take ownership of that feeling. And there's the karmic result Here's three ways that that act has a positive result. It feels good in the moment as you're doing it. Oh yeah, it feels really good to be generous with this person or whatever. Yeah. There is the likelihood of that arising in the future given similar circumstances because you you've imprinted or more deeply registered the joy of generosity. <coughs> and when you think back on a generous act, it also brings joy. You know, think of something kind or generous that you've done in the last 
last few days or weeks. Just think of anything. You know, it can be as simple as holding a door open for somebody. Or just think. Just go inside. Remember that action. And see yourself in the middle of that act. And as you remember it and reflect on it, how does it feel to remember that? Doesn't that feel good? So you're planting very powerful karmic seeds, both in the moment, in the future, and in reflecting back. I want to mention a, a few words about the importance of receiving in this, because we are not only givers, we are receivers all the time. We are One way I think of it, we are kind of like uh, trans, uh, receiving and transmitting energy fields. We're taking in from the world all the time and we're sending out all the time. And there's this exchange that one could also get in touch with the interconnectedness of things. We give out our energy and our words and our, our resources and we take them in all the time. And it's important, I think, to know the art of receiving as well. As most of us, or many of us, have been brought up so that we're we're good givers, but you know, oh no, I you know, no, no, thank you, no, I really shouldn't, you know. <laughs> I used to think that was the right thing to do, you know. Oh no, 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 thank you. How do you feel when you want to be generous with somebody? Say, oh, hey. I got you something like this. And they say, oh, you shouldn't have. You know, you know, oh, you really shouldn't have. Oh, my God. How did you? Oh. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. You shouldn't have. You know. It kind of, it takes something away, in a way, from it. You know what I mean? I, I remember um, it was my first retreat. This was in 1974, and I, um, somebody was on the retreat who inspired me very much to, to do this retreat, and had been inspiring for, for quite some time. And after, when the silence was broken, um, I went up to this person, and I, we had a very nice talk about the retreat experience, and it, then at some point I said, I want to thank you. I'm so grateful for you to steering me to the Dharma. And um, this person who receives a lot of gratitude and thanks, at that point just couldn't quite take it in. Oh, okay. You know, and then it was like the conversation was finished and, and uh, they turned to another person. And, and I thought, it stayed with me for a few years. You know. I was, I was so sincere in my, in my thanks, you know. And, um, and so I, I, I made a, a pact with myself, you know. Because you're in this position, I'm in this position where, you know, uh, being fortunate enough to, to let people see who they really are and discover the truth in themselves, it's, you know, it's bound to evoke some gratitude. And if if when somebody 
expresses gratitude, I say, oh no, it's okay, you know, that, that doesn't feel so good. So there's a way to, you know, I, I can share with you my way, and, and you know, you, you have similar situations where if somebody thanks me, I say, oh, I'm really glad, and I am really glad, without puffing myself up, I'm really glad, and I'm, I'm taking it in for the Dharma, you know, because really what they're, they're thanking is the Dharma. Uh, and it just kind of comes through all of, all of us, all of our forms. When somebody says, thank you, that was so helpful, what you said or what you did for me, if you simply say, oh, I'm so glad, oh, you're welcome, you know, oh, it was a pleasure, you know, then there's, you become what's called a field of merit. I remember Joseph Goldstein used to, uh, use that phrase a lot, you know, as, you know, he lived on Donna, you know, I was saying, wow, amazing, the trust of just living on Donna, you know, and, and, and taking it in, and he said, well, you know, you become a field of merit for people's generosity. It's like you're doing them um, a good turn by, by taking in their generosity, so, so they have a chance to experience that. So, you know, think of yourself as people give you gifts this holiday season, you know, as deserve, not only deserving it of it, but being a field of merit for them where they get to experience the joy of generosity. Does that make sense? Mm -mm. Let's see what else. Mm. Generosity, the way I see it, the ability to give freely, really comes from a sense of abundance. It comes from a sense of fulfillment, that you have what you need, and also a sense of trust that if you give away, that you won't be in poverty, but actually, you know, that law of the universe, the universe will provide, and it generally does, you know, it's, you know, how many times have you given something away and regretted it afterwards? You know, oh, I really shouldn't have given that. You know? Very rarely, unless you gave away some priceless heirloom that you think, oh, God, should I do that? Even then, you kind of forget after a while, you know. But most of the time, once you give, it's gone, and there's always room for more. Actually, what it does is it creates room for more, you know, psychic space. You know, it's so great to clean out your closet and, you know, give things away, and, ah, I've got room, you know. It seems to fill up again, you know. <laughs> And you can just give it away again. But that quality of abundance that you have enough, that the universe mm, deems you worthy enough to receive, is really, a, it's, it's a generative feeling. So, some sense of worthiness and of um, a right to experience the riches of the universe, I think is very helpful and important in this ability to give. If you don't, 
and I know what it's like, you know, when it, it's, it's really amazing, the, the shift over the years, you know, I used to be really insecure. That was how I was raised, you know, S you know, save, you know, you know, if you can go to the other side of town and save, you know, a couple of dollars, you know, you're, you're, you're doing well, you know. Just, you can practice and there is more of this sense of um, the abundance of the universe and the, the riches that, that we, can, we can receive. Whether or not, again, it's monetary, you know, there's lots of different ways to experience the generosity of the universe and to give of our own generosity. And you can, you can practice wherever you are. You know, I said I was I was very different when I first started all of this stuff. The Buddha has a, a very interesting teaching on developing generosity. He says um, there are what he called three levels of giving. Um, one is called uh, um, beggarly giving, one is called friendly giving, and one is called royal or kingly or queenly giving. Um, beggarly giving is you give after much deliberation something that you might not ever use. You know, <laughs> oh, I might need it. Yeah, I, mean, I, I sometimes do notice this when I'm cleaning out my closets. You know, I haven't, I haven't worn something in three years and I think, oh, that really is nice. You know, maybe I will use it. You know, but then. Want to give it? You know, it's, it's gone. Okay, so that's one level of giving. Friendly giving is giving what you use. And royal giving is giving the best of what, of what you use. Okay, and he says, it doesn't matter where you are. Don't put yourself down if you see that you're more on the, the, the beggarly side. He says, just practice where you are because the very practice of doing it will further develop that quality. You might try this for a period of time. Just any time that there's an impulse to give, see what it's like to give it. You know, try it for an hour, if not a, <laughs> if not a day or a week. You know or a month, it feels joyful. It feels really joyful. It really does. Because what giving is, what generosity is, is it is the, the currency of our caring. That's, it's the stuff that we, that we use to develop our caring. I'll give you an example, a story that, um, that maybe you've heard if you've come on retreats with me. That happened about 20 years ago on a three-month retreat um, where I, I was at uh, the center at, uh, in Massachusetts and I was the, um, the pot washer, uh, assigned pot washer. I didn't volunteer for it. They didn't volunteer, uh, ask for volunteers in those days because pot washing was, you know, everybody was serious about practice and I wanted to do my practice, you know. So there I was 
uh, signed up for pot washing and feeling kind of self-pitying. Oh, God, I've got to do all these pots and I'm going to be late for the next sitting and, you know, kind of bemoaning my fate. <laughs> and out of the uh, manager's office, which is right next to the pot washing room, comes the manager. Uh, out of the staff room comes the manager. Um, and he has something wrapped in aluminum foil. And he looks at me, doing my job, he thought, with great intention and diligence. <laughs> you know? And he looks at what he has, and he says, uh, here, this is for you, for doing, for your service in, to the center. Well, OK, I was very motivated to finish washing my pots at that point, you know, dry my hands, you know, finally got them dry. I opened it up, and there was this big piece of cheesecake with glaze and nuts and, you know. At that point in the retreat, an extra slice of bread at tea time was a big deal, you know. We didn't get cheesecake at tea time. I closed it. I opened it, it was still there. <laughs> and it was big, too, right? So um, after a while, you just kind of feel generous. Uh, the, 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 you know, the practice kind of opens you up in that way. And besides, it was pretty big. So I, I broke it into a few pieces and uh, put three pieces in bowls of uh, friends of, of mine. You know, there's not much else to do on a three-month retreat. You get to know where everybody's bowl is and, you know, who you feel connected with. And, and then I, you know, waited until tea time to see them go to their bowl and see this, you know, piece of cheesecake, you know, and each person, you know, their mouth dropped, you know, their jaw dropped. And one person broke their piece and put it in somebody else's bowl, that last person to get it was Howie Cohn, uh, one of the teachers here. I ate my piece very mindfully, you can be sure. You know, very mindfully. I savored and tasted every explosion in my mouth. Right? It took me about maybe 90 seconds or so to eat my cake, maybe two minutes. You know. It's very good and then it was gone. But what I got from that experience was that 20 years later, I feel a connection with five other people through one piece of cheesecake. Jim, the manager, my three friends, Howie, one piece of cheesecake. So it's not so much the stuff the stuff, like I said, is like the currency of relationship and caring. And that is how it works, I'm sure, in your life, too. When you get something from somebody, there's a kind of connection there. You know, when you give somebody something to somebody, there's also there's a beautiful connection, because you've shown them that you really care about them. So you can practice. I'll read a couple of uh, anecdotes.
this is about a, a fellow Hiroshi who became a mentor and father figure to uh, many of his employees. He had this very uh, successful business. And um, he says, I tried to mentor every employee who needed help. I spent time with each of them, coaching them to stay in school, teaching them all about business, about customers, and sharing skills I'd learned from my own experience. I had so much love to share. I wanted to give them the knowledge and tools to become whatever they wanted to be. Now in his 74th year, Hiroshi tells his favorite story, which involves Donald, who came to work for him as a directionless and struggling young man. I liked Donald very much and felt he had a lot of potential. When he stopped working for me, I remained close to him and helped him get into military school. Several years later, he came to me and said, Hiroshi, I just want you to know I'm going to be your competitor. I've decided to open my own carpet cleaning business right here in town. Rather than discouraging the competition, Hiroshi told Donald he'd like to help. And with his extraordinary urge to teach, he showed Donald every trick of the trade. With Hiroshi's blessing, Donald not only became Hiroshi's biggest competitor, his company became one of the largest and most successful carpet cleaning businesses in the United States. And this is Hiroshi saying, this is my proudest achievement. When my gifts helped other, helped other people find fulfillment, I have passed along my father's gift, the gift of education to another person. This is my greatest joy. Isn't that beautiful? Now you can take that story, you know, this, a different person can have a whole different take on it. But imagine being moved with pride and, and joy for helping somebody become even better than you are. You know, I, as a parent, perhaps, uh, some parents can relate to that. I, I remember having this conversation with my son, Adam, who's uh, now 13, and a fierce competitor, like his dad, too. Um, you know, whether it's ping pong or uh, basketball or swimming or whatever, you know, he's always wanting to compete against me. <clears throat> And with ping pong now, he, he beats me. I think he's like, what, he's got 65 games to 54 games is our, <laughs> our, current, uh, our current score. But there was a point, oh, chess, another one. He, at some point, I used to play him a lot of chess, and then he became like this chess whiz. And at some point, you know, it, it wasn't fun for me to play anymore. You know, I'd win maybe one out of 10 or so. But I still played. And he was saying, you know, well, how is it for you? you know, he, he, he's also a trash talker. I haven't gotten him out of that one yet, you know. And I said, you know, you know isn't it humbling? I said, you know something? I love it. I, you know, I don't like to lose, but I love the fact that you've just gotten mastery and done so beautifully. And... I would like to see you, you know, in my, in my greatest dreams, you know, I'd like to see you have a really meaningful impact on the world, you know, and be, 
even more successful than me. And he's always saying, you know, oh yeah, well everybody loves you and you're, you know, you're the Dharma teacher and all, you know. I said, you've got a gift. You know, he does too. You know, I'd love to see you more successful. And I'm sure all the parents in here can relate too. That's one of the beautiful things about uh, sympathetic joy. It's so easy to feel with with children or kids, uh, people that you love, you want to see them more successful, like that Hiroshi. Because there's something about giving, leaving a legacy, you know, that will live past you, past your time. That's how you live on, you know, and that's why that's Hiroshi's proudest achievement. Wow, he showed somebody how to be fantastically successful and touch a lot of people's eye, lives and hearts. Mm. There's a, another teacher who really um, um, epitomized this for me too. He's still alive. His name is Manindraji and he is one of uh, one of my teachers and one of, uh, one of jo he was Joseph Goldstein's first teacher. And he's this kind of like elfish very interested in, in everything and uh, pixie-like um, lover of the Dharma. And he, uh, he taught Joseph, he taught this incredibly uh, deep yogi, a woman named Deepama, maybe you've heard of her from time to time, and he taught another uh, uh, woman, Krishna, Barua in, uh, in Asia. All three of those people have affected many, many, many lives. And, he's, and he never reached the level of understanding that they did. But he was a fantastic teacher. And so, and he studied all the texts and knew the Pali Canon, you know, backwards and forwards, and, and distilled what was a kind of more stern um, uh, expression of the Dharma from through the, the, the Burmese style into this loving heart. He was a very key figure for all of us uh, because somehow his buoyancy and, his, and his, um, his understanding of the lightness of heart and the beauty of, of the Dharma and taking things simple and easy um, translated through um, through him into into others and he just is so proud of his students he's so proud that he could actually affect so many people through Joseph or Deepama or Krishna there's something about a legacy that gives your life meaning This is uh, Benjamin Disraeli, who says, The greatest good you can do for another is not just to share your riches, but to reveal to him <laughs> his own. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's, 
that's the, the, the highest kind of generosity. And the Buddha talked about generosity, the highest generosity is, is uh, helping others develop the Dharma in themselves. When you teach somebody else how beautiful they are, or that they're really free, or that they're really enlightened in there, if they can, they can just learn and train their hearts to see it. Because when you get down to it, whose freedom is it anyway? You know? Oh, they'll have some of my freedom, you know, if I teach them? That's not... I remember in the early days, you know, just thinking there was this kind of race to enlightenment, you know, <laughs> and uh, you know, we were all at the, uh, the the starting gate, you know. It seemed, and some people were getting there faster than than me, and some a little slower than me. And you know, if somebody had a, a deep awakening experience, I think, oh gee, you know, I'm kind of slag slogging behind here, you know. And it's so, it's such a misunderstanding, and it, you know, it's not to say that it, that it doesn't happen, or you might, you know find yourself feeling that, oh gosh, this is taking me so long. But when you get down to it, when you really discover whose freedom is it anyway? When you're free, it's not, oh, hey, I've got a whole lot of freedom inside of me. That's not what freedom is. Freedom is when you get out of the way and see it's not you to begin with. So, no need for competition practice. <laughs> So generosity, let's say a few more words. <clears throat> it includes ourselves. I just want to underscore that again. This is not giving till it hurts. This is giving out of the joy of giving. And if you are feeling depleted or you're feeling burnt out because you do so much good in the world that you don't have any left for yourself, there's something off there somewhere. That's not helping anybody if you're feeling burnt out. So you want to really be sure that your own spirit is replenished and nurtured, which is, you know, those steps on identification and centrality, why they're so important. It's really giving to yourself so that you can have that much more to give to others. When we do loving-kindness practice, it is really a generosity practice. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with joy. And it also remember, starts with ourselves. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. This isn't self-indulgence. You know, this is just pragmatic wisdom that for yourself to be happy, you have that much more to give. And when you're, when you're giving dana in whatever way you see fit, whether it's helping others less fortunate, or somehow serving, that you're not doing it to save the world. That's when it starts getting overwhelming, you know. 
they're all depending on me. The world is depending on me to, to save it, to rescue it. You know, you look at the, the newspaper or you look at your pile of donations that you've maybe been collecting for the year. And it's like, you know, my God, you know, 175 envelopes here, you know. <laughs> how much suffering I can't give to everybody. What can I do? And you might start feeling guilty or feeling lousy or that you can't give more. That's not it. You know? Then you just, you take away the joy of giving rather than feeling good about what you do give. That generosity is a practice. It's not, it's partly because you're motivated, it's generally because you're motivated to relieve suffering or to, to, to share your, your, your bounty. But it's a practice of opening up the heart. And you can't save the world. You're doing it to work on yourself as well as benefiting others. In that sense, it's a kind of you know, selfish practice, but selfish in the best way, because you're trying to develop those, those qualities within yourself. And you can only do so much, as I think it's, uh, yeah, it is Peace Pilgrim says, I wish I had the quote here. She says, if you're doing so much, if your life is becoming so crowded that there's no space for peace inside, you're doing more than your share of the life's plan. And you've got to take a look and cut back so that you can find that nourishment of inner peace. <laughs> Tagore says, uh, I slept and dreamed that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was service. I acted and realized service was joy. So when you're giving in whatever way, there, it should be, I think, in the highest sense, when I say should, it's something to aspire to, motivated by joy, by a, by a, a generative heart, an expansive heart. Because it is. It feels great to share. <coughs> So, I think I've said enough. Let's spend some time, if there's any questions or comments on this topic. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a personal one. Our family is bi-celebratory. <laughs> my my uh, husband and I were both married to spouses that were not Jewish, and, and we each have a daughter who um, you know, uh, they're, they're sort of picking and choosing, you know, where they're going to go and what they're going to do. But anyway, my daughter's out of the home, and um, my husband's daughter is, is still with us. This is probably her last year. But anyway, so we're by celebratory. And um, my preference would be... Sounds kind of kinky. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know what I did no. or not. I, I think the word may have been... Monkey kind of word. Yeah. Um, no, I like it. I've heard other people use it. And I, I, I know I was using it, yeah. and then other people were too. It's good. So. It's good. Yeah. Um, uh, so you know, my preference is to just write 
a check to say the heifer organization um, or to you know an, a nonprofit that we feel very heart connected to and and then send a lovely card you know with our thoughts to you know all of our immediate family and my husband uh, wants to get into it all a little bit more and although we're not that commercialized about it but he he asks me to write a list for him um, of what he can buy me. And, and he, I, he wants me to do this on my birthday, around my birthday too. And I really resist doing that. And, and he gives me a list and I, I listen to the things he says. And you know, when I hear that he's trying to find this song, Midnight Masquerade, which I think is from the last century, but anyway, you know, so I'm searching and searching and I found the 78 recording and a friend of mine who has a recording studio is going to put it on a CD. You know, so I listen to these little things. So he's going to be completely surprised. So he wants me to make this list and to give this list to him so he can shop from that list. And I've resisted and resisted and resisted. And when I was listening to this, to what you were saying, more about being the receiver, all of a sudden, I had great compassion for him because he doesn't think the same way that I do. And, and that this is actually a loving tool that he's asking for. And I've been resisting giving him that. And um, so I've been making my list. <laughs> great. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. And what you also point to is it just takes one thought of understanding you know, somebody's reality to change the way you hold the whole thing. That, that's, that's the power of understanding. It, that's, where, that's the basis of forgiveness. It's the basis of compassion. It's the basis of, of happiness, really understanding, oh, that's why. It's like the light bulb goes off. Oh, neat. And just another way to hold it. So, thanks. Which I think is, it for me, is also the real subtle difference between to understand and being understanding. And I remember uh, once, many years ago, uh, when I was in deep conflict uh, about something and I was speaking with a rabbi, and, and I said, I kept saying, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand. And he said, well, maybe it's not your job to understand. He said, maybe it's just your job to be understanding. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, was, I, mm -hmm. I had no understanding about those two concepts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and understanding, um, when you describe it like that, when you're trying to understand, sometimes you can get, you know, your rational mind in the way, trying to figure it out too much. But if you have the intention to be understanding. It's like you're letting go of all your preconceptions and just kind of receiving whatever truth there is and, and um, without preconceiving, maybe getting into somebody else's reality and, and head for a moment, um, there can be that, that opening in a new way. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, yesterday I went out to lunch with a friend of mine um, but he wasn't there actually at the time. And I realized that he had moved into a house that was right across the street from a very old friend I had not seen in five years. So I thought, well, Dan isn't here. Why don't I just go across the street? You know? And I left a note saying exactly where I was. 
I went across the street, and of course, <laughs> Dimitri had not seen me in so long that he actually didn't even recognize me when I was at the door. And then, you know, I started to say who I was, and of course, it all fell into place. He said, oh, come in. And we sat for about 15 or 20 minutes to do a little catching up. But it was exactly as if no time at all had gone by. It was extremely moving and just incredibly heart-expanding to have that kind of connection. So I was sort of saying this to him because it reminded me of how he had always been, just very embracing and loving and connecting. And he turned to me and he said, well, to be honest with you, that's what I experienced in you, and I am very grateful for this opportunity. And I could not, this is a sadness, I could not take that in. And so I needed to focus back on him again. And listening to you today is such a deep reminder to me of how essential it is for me, for anybody, to find that space, to take that in, to express my, it, I mean, it did bring me joy to hear him say that. It was almost as if I could not bear to hold that. That it was a piece of being present that overwhelmed me. And then so being overwhelmed and not allowing myself, I mean, in a certain way, there's this thought that I could have said, you know, I'm overwhelmed, I'd like to take a moment to just be present for what you've shared with me. Um, it's such an opportunity for two people, for yeah. any number of people, to be fully welcome and yeah. present. Well, that was his gift to you. And here, as you say it to all of us, now just focus on that as a priority in your practice, to really take it in. It's a, it's a gift to yourself and to everybody you'll meet. What, what better gift when you're with somebody for them to see that you really enjoy yourself? That you, uh, that, you ca that you can take in the, 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 the love that they have for you. It's, it's the best modeling in the world. Oh, wow, that, that's really a gift to everyone. So thanks for sharing that. And you, take it in. You know, when you actually, you know, when you sit, you might take a few moments to take in Dimitri's gratitude for you and uh, use it as a as an inspiration, as an intention to start practicing seeing that everywhere. Right. Thanks. Yeah. I just wanted to tell a little anecdote. Um, a few years ago I passed uh, the Richmond Bridge and uh, someone paid my oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that never occurred to me that, that it made it made me feel so much hope that they, I did it since then many times to other people, but every time that I cross the Richmond yeah, Bridge, yeah. I always remember that it happened a few years ago. Yeah. So it's just, it's just a way. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to say, that the hardest time that I have with generosity is with the purity of receiver, not when I am the receiver, but someone else is the receiver. And I can feel there that there is more than I want to give, or it's demanding, or there is some kind of greed or not satisfaction with what I gave. Um, mm. At that time, my generosity become mm. on different level, and I have a hard time to deal with this person next time with mm -hmm. the giving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest moment that I have with finding that hard for me to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Well, that, there is there's the 
the teaching right there that the purity of the receiver or the, the, the open heart of the receiver affects the, the act of giving as well. And just like he said, what's, what's your name? David. David. Just like David said, you know, that it was so hard for him to take that in, you know, because of whatever conditioning, as it is for many of us, you know, he just couldn't uh, take it in. Just like for some people, either it's hard for them to take in or they're, they're kind of coming from a place of real poverty where they want more. It is, you know, the, the, the only avenue I have, uh, I can see in that is, oh, how painful it must be to be in that, that mind state where a pure gift is not enough, you know, and that, that perhaps elicits compassion instead of contraction. Because there you are able to open your heart, but this person on the other side is not able to to take in what you have to give. That's, and they're only dealing it with it when they're with you. Chances are, I mean, you're only dealing it with, the, with them when they're with you. Chances are they're dealing with it in most interactions in their life. And what a, what a contracted space to be in. That's, that's painful. So rather than taking it personally, it's, oh, you know, that's, you know, hope they wake up. But it's not easy, yeah. I have a little um, protocol question. Yeah. Um, about Sankey notes. Mm. Um, some, there's a couple people in my life that you're in and you're out at the holidays, I send them a gift. And, the, and, um, this, and I never hear back from them year after year. And um, this year I decided I'd just send them a card. <laughs> Because um, it wasn't, it wasn't, I felt like maybe, in a, and I'm hearing from you, maybe I wasn't feeling it in any sense that it was being received. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. instead of kind of resenting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.